This is Ringtones. Welcome to episode 19 of the All Boxing No Bullshit podcast. I'm your host and dog whisperer, Jason Langendorf. Yes, I am a dog person again. And let me just say it's not going well. Um, side note, just that that's for maybe another podcast. But uh, anyhow, I hope you're doing well. Uh, hope you're staying safe. We've got uh, we've got a really nice conversation for you this week. Uh, I spoke to Patrick Green, uh, documentarian, filmmaker, writer, journalist, kind of uh, one man media mogul, um, and specifically we we got together to talk about Bundini, the documentary, which is the uh, the piece that Patrick produced uh, on the life of Bundini Brown, uh, Muhammad Ali's confidant, hype man, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Patrick, I think, called him the witch doctor. Um, a lot of people remember Bundini as being a little bit of a kind of a caricature type figure. Um, but but something that's really interesting about this piece uh, that Patrick produced is that we we learn a lot more about him. Um, and as we know with most people, Bundini's far more complex um, and far more interesting than you know, maybe what we get at first glance or on the surface. So, uh, I recommend it highly that you check out, uh, Bundini, the documentary. Um, there are a number of places that you can find it in Patrick's other work. And I'll let you know that at the tail end of the podcast, but, uh, let's get into the conversation now. It's really was, this might've been our best conversation yet on ringtones. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it, but first, and now we pick up the conversation with Patrick Green. Yeah, of course. Um, how's everything going? You're out in LA, yeah? Yeah, I'm out in LA. Um, things are good. You know, we're we're wearing masks, some of us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I got a one-year-old boy, so it's been, you know, that's uh, been, you know, raising him this year has been kind of a crazy experience. You know, with all that's been going on. I'm um, sure. Yeah, my wife working from home. So yeah, you know, it's a. Uh, it's been the longest, uh, quickest year of our lives, I think. Um, but, but we're hanging in there. Um, how about you? How's Chicago? Good. Um, well, good, good for me. Not great for everybody, but kind of similar, you know, uh, between the pandemic and the, um, you know, protests and things like that. We're, we're kind of in the news right now. But, um, yeah, uh, not not too bad. I, it's a different experience for me. I've got teenagers, and they all want to run off and do stuff and yeah they're invincible so you know you can't convince them otherwise and yeah yeah i, I feel for the i feel for the parents with kids that ha are have like five and six year olds oh yeah because yeah. they're mobile you know they're <laughs> they're getting into everything they're, yeah. they're already viral so it's like just you know <laughs> they're just walking petri dishes yeah well what's crazy is you know he he just started walking about three weeks ago two weeks ago so mm -hmm. you know it's a whole new set of issues but it, it's fun but at the same time it's like oh my god we, we just got over him you know sleeping he's finally sleeping and then now he's running around everywhere and we gotta lock up the cabinets and all that stuff but right just awesome. when you just when you figured it out <laughs> yeah yeah a new set of issues right <laughs> right well so so I want to hear more about your background. You're you're a writer. You're a documentarian, a filmmaker. You're doing other things in media. Uh, you're kind of a seems like a renaissance man. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you landed where you're at now. 
Sure. So I started off um, as a journalist, as a sports journalist. That's kind of what I always wanted to do growing up. Um, and I wrote for my school paper, my undergrad, the San Diego State. I wrote football and I wrote columns. I had this column where I would basically um, kind of talk about stuff while on the toilet. And that was kind of the thing. Um, and so there was that. And then from there, I, I graduated and then I went to work at the OC Register and I covered sports, high school sports for a little bit. And it just wasn't kind of doing it for me. I like kind of stories that, you know, you're not just going out there and getting the standard interviews. I, I, I kind of geared myself more towards magazine almost writing, like the longer pieces where you could spend some time with someone and um, learn their story. And you're not just getting the quotes from the game, you know? Right. Um, so I did that. I bounced around. I was an editor at various places. And then I decided to go back to film school. I kind of saw where journalism was going, you know, heading downwards, you know, a lot of places were just kind of not paying as well and closing. Um, so I went to film school um, because I love telling stories and I wanted to kind of tell my own stories instead of other people's. Um, so I went back to film school, um, studied screenwriting um, and I graduated. And then from there I worked at Tony Scott's uh, production company uh, you know, he made Top Gun and um, yeah. True Romance, a legend. True Romance, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was really fun. And then I kind of bounced around with some various producers and writers, kind of ghostwriting and, you know, picking up jobs here and there. Um, and it was, you know, it paid the bills for a couple of years. But at the same time, I was kind of in that same boat where I was telling other people's stories. Um, and so, you know, I started gearing myself again. I made the switch to directing. Um, and so for the past about three and a half years, I've directed my own stuff. Um, and it's, we've played at like uh, over 50 film festivals. And, you know, I've been trying to gear myself more towards visual storytelling um, because my writing was always visual. Uh, and it was nice to kind of, you know, have a camera. You know, when you're a writer, you kind of turn yourself over. Once you deliver your script or your story, the editor has it in, in editorial. And in film, the director has it. And so, you know, it's their, it becomes their vision. Um, so I really kind of wanted to have the whole process to myself. I kind of got, you know, greedy, I guess. Um, but it's been really fun. I love, you know, it's, it, there's been a, you know, a, a growth, a learning, a learning curve for sure. But um, it's, you know, it's, I, I get more fulfillment out of kind of taking it from the beginning stages of an idea and then executing the, the vision of it um, and then laying in music and sound and color and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of us feel the same way. We would love to have control over the, the thing from wire to wire. Um, and we're, you know, if you're a writer, there's nothing worse than an editor. And if you're an editor, there's nothing worse than a writer. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. But it's, uh, it, it, it really is uh, kind of the dream to be able to, see it through from start to finish that you know your own vision um yeah yeah you mentioned you mentioned the visual aspect of it. that was something i was going to ask you a little later but you brought it up the the idea of being a kind of a visual storyteller and a, and a writer do you see those things as kind of two sides of the same coin are there different skill sets involved or is it just kind of all coming from the same place i think it always goes back to storytelling um, you know, these days with cameras, there's so many good cameras at everyone's disposal where the technology has really caught up where anyone can really make a, a great film, a great looking film. Yeah. But you know, going to all these film festivals, I see this top notch 
um, directing, acting, uh, everything is Hollywood quality from, you know, very cheap budget, but it all goes back down to story. Um, and, you know, that's why you see these timeless stories, you know, who's making the great movies still like Spielberg and, you know, all the great Scorsese, because it's, it goes back to storytelling. Um, and you can do that on any level. Uh, but it, it's, I think for me, it always goes back to, I always see myself as a writer, um, whether it be visually, which kind of editing is, um, editing in a, in a film format, you know, where you're cutting stuff up and whatnot. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think visually you're telling a story the same way you're, you're trying to, you know, get into a character, um, get people to care about him uh, or her. And, you know, it, for me, it's always important to have a message behind that. So you're not just telling a story, but there's, you know, what, what, what kind of points of view are you trying to get across? What are you showing about humanity? Uh, I'm not interested in making, you know, Marvel big budget movies, at least not yet. Maybe, maybe when the paycheck comes. <laughs> but for yeah, now, I just... Don't speak yeah. too soon. Wait till they throw some money at you, will you? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, where I'm at right now, I just love telling stories about people maybe who kind of aren't always front and center, who are kind of in the background, um, who a lot of people don't know about. And my job this story is to kind of shed light on on them yeah those i think a lot of the times resonate most the kind of quiet stories that still somehow have a universal element exactly um, you mentioned uh i think it, i think it was a soderbergh who did the did the movie entirely on an iphone camera yeah yeah he did one um yeah i mean the technology is just so amazing now and um if you can, you know, if you've got a great idea, um, you can, you can, you know, you can make it happen. The great thing, you know, it's, this is my first boxing podcast. So I'm super excited uh, <laughs> to talk about boxing and, and sports and stuff. Cause that's my first love, but you know, film wise, you know, I, I go on film podcasts and I always talk about how, if you have an idea, you can really, the world is open now where you can put it up online. Hey, I've got this great idea. I've got this great script, or maybe you make a trailer or, whatever it may be, a treatment, and you show other filmmakers and, you know, people will help you out where, where they can. Um, you can find some great people to collaborate with if they believe in the story um, and in you. And, you know, before it was kind of, there were walls around kind of Hollywood where right. you'd have to kind of, um, you know, jump the wall or get an agent or whatnot. But there's so many good filmmakers and collaborators out there that if you really are passionate about telling a story, um, and, and they trust you, they'll help you out. And you can find some great people to work with. And, and, and you know, the quality of the stuff that you see that I make, um, you know, it's, we're not spending tens of thousands of dollars on it. We're just getting people that are passionate about the project and, you know, trust me as a filmmaker, as a director to kind of, help, you know, collaborate with them and put the best version of that story on screen. Yeah, it seems to parallel uh, a lot of what's going on in media and even your kind of professional journey really sounds pretty familiar to me. It resonates with me in a big way. Um, there, there are fewer barriers to entry than ever. Mm -hmm. um, the, the flip side of that is that there's so much noise out there now. Everybody's, you know, everybody's got a platform. Exactly. So there's a needle in the haystack factor there. But, but it is pretty great that you can again like talking about taking something from from start to finish and see that vision through and it can really be professional quality and it really just comes down to 
whatever your vision is and, and the quality of your storytelling, and it has less to do with, like you said, an agent or, um, you know, did I get somebody's card at a, at a cocktail party or, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah. And, you know, not everyone wants to play that game. We're not, they're not good at that game. Right. Um, I, I like my work to speak for itself. And I think as I've gotten older, I've kind of learned to embrace the, you know, you've, you've got to put yourself out there a little bit more. Uh, social media obviously helps you a lot more than going out and actually seeing people face to face, which I don't have a problem with. I just have a problem with kind of always trying to sell myself. And I feel that Hollywood is a lot about kind of, you know, who do you know and what can you do for me? And, you know, I'm just, I like telling stories um, and working with cool people. And it's that simple. So if I can keep doing that, you know, that, that that's my sweet spot. Yeah, it's, it's kind of exhausting. I, I think the, the selling yourself, uh, the, the networking, all of those sort of elements, they're just an entirely different skill set than most people who are creatives who, what, you know, whether it's visual, uh, you know, writers, what, what have you. They're just, I have found, it's been my experience, my own experience, but then also a lot of the people in the business that I know, it just, you know, you're not built to sell yourself, but it really is kind of what you have to do in this day and age. For sure. And I think that's something I've, I've I learned. Uh, yeah, you can write the best script. Uh, if, you, if you don't get it to the right people, you know, um, it's going to be hard. It's going to sit in the drawer, you know, or even if you get the best people working with you or someone that believes in you and they don't sell it right or they don't get it to the right person. There's so many steps that it has to get to to actually get on screen. And then when it gets on screen, sometimes you don't even recognize if it was yours or not. You know, I've had projects that have been shot and, and you're just like, well, I don't, I didn't write that, you know, it just, it went through so many hands. It went through, you know, so many cooks in the kitchen. Um, that's why I love the indie film world where, yeah, you're not going to get the huge paychecks, but you're going to get at this level where that I'm at is you're going to get more of your vision on the screen. You're going to be able to tell your story in the way you want it to. And I think for where I'm at in my career, that's the most important thing. And if, you know, more things come down the line, I'll hopefully build up a, you know, some collateral where, you know, my, my ideas and my vision for it will, will stand when the stakes get higher. Yeah. And I mean, I think, especially right now, especially where everything's at, um, if you're able to, even if it's check to check, but if you're able to put food on the table and tell your stories, that's not a bad place to be, not in this environment anyway. For sure. Totally agree. Um, so obviously I brought you on, to talk some boxing, um, you know, you, you've got the new uh, Bundini doc. You also, you also have a piece on Edwin Valera. What's your connection to boxing? So, yeah, I was thinking about t that today, actually. Um, I think my, I just go back a little bit. Um, you know, I, I was, I grew up in a huge sports family, you know, big, my dad's from New York. And um, I think my first boxing memory is like, uh, obviously watching those early Tyson fights, I remember going to um, get a piece of pizza and I think it was the Sphinx fight. And like, I went and sat down and it was over. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wow, that, that to me was like, wow, this sport is so fun where I can just blink and, you know, it could be all over. Right. Um, and there was such buildup to that. So then uh, a family member actually had um, a stake in Iran Barkley's management. And so um, I remember my dad going to Vegas and coming home with a T-shirt signed by Iran Barkley and 
he had a he had a, it was after the Thomas Hearns fight. He had like a new gold watch. I think they had been betting, you know. Um, so then um, I kind of lost. Uh, you know, I've always been a boxing fan, but I kind of geared more towards you know the traditional sports: basketball, baseball, football. I like tennis a lot. Um, and then, kind of uh, about last year, I got approached to um, be an editor in chief of a boxing site that was launching and called Boxing Empire. And so I took that job and for like six months, I ran that. It was basically started as an Instagram page and they kind of wanted to build an editorial side. So I had a small team and I was kind of in charge of the content. So I wanted to develop this kind of 30, like a mini 30 for 30 series. Yeah. Um, and so I was just kind of figuring out ideas. I wanted to do stories that kind of no one had heard about um, outside of the boxing world, you know, and obviously Valero is big within the boxing world, but kind of a cult figure. Right. Um, so like all stories, I found it on Twitter. All, all great stories, you know, are sitting on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Don Stradley had, was just about to um, release his book through Hamilcar Publishing. Um, and so I just reached out to Don um, and was like, hey, um, I'm thinking about doing like a short doc on Edwin Valaro, would you kind of be the narrator? Could you help me out? You know, and you got this book coming out and I think it would be really cool. So I did that with him and, you know, kind of put together this little, I think it's about six minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did that and it turned out great. And um, the Hamilcar guys really loved it. And so they approached me afterwards and they were like, hey, would you be interested in doing this Bundini book? And I was like, Oh, Bandini, you know, I didn't really know who he was. My only kind of connection to him was um, the Jamie Foxx portrayal in, in Michael Mann's Ali. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I remember him being kind of this weird kind of, you know, witch doctor-ish guy, you know, it was kind of a weird character. Uh, so I kind of did my own research and I just found, wow, I, from, you know, the I think the most uh, surprising part was just right away was that he made up the float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I, I always thought that was Ali that did yeah. that. Um, so that was kind of my, I was like, okay, there's a lot more to this guy than, than is out there. So I, you know, started researching him and um, I was like, you know, I went back to the guys, um, Andy and Kyle, and I was like, yeah, I would love to do this. Because uh, they had a Bundini bi biography by Todd Snyder that was going to come out. It's going to come out in August now, but this is probably back in uh, November, December, they had approached me about doing the doc. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just, you know, uncovering this guy. They, they told me right when I, um, when they approached me, they were like, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff to work with. You know, he was kind of, we have the, we have Todd, the author, and we have Drew, uh, Brown, the third, who's his son, who's a big part of the book. And that's about it. There's about 50, 40, 50 pictures, you know, family photos, and that's it. So I was like, okay, that's not a lot of work with. So I'm gonna have to get creative here. <laughs> so um, you just dove in, started researching, and I started off by doing interviews with um, Todd and Drew. And these guys are just great storytellers. And I think that's where I really lucked out was they both have a they both have the gift of gab. Uh, Todd's from West Virginia. He's got this cool accent. Um, and, you know, Drew, and well, Todd would give us kind of a, uh, a third person omnipresent kind of narration of Bundini's life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then Drew would kind of fill me in on kind of what he was like as a father, as a man outside of the ring, which 
I thought was really important. So I had these two great interviews um, and that's kind of where I started piecing together, okay, we need to find visuals for this part and that part. And that's how kind of it came together like a collage. It's a lot, making a documentary is a lot different than um, a, a scripted film because with a script, you've got, you know, a blueprint and you can tell the actors, um, okay, hey, I want, you know, hey, how would you say this line? Okay, well, let's say it this way. And, you know, you, you're following a storyline that's already been hashed out. Right. Um, yeah, but for a doc, you know, you know, God is kind of your, uh, is your kind of script, right? You don't know what people are going to say. You don't know if someone's in a bad mood that day or they don't want to talk or if they're feeling like, you know, whatever. It's just, you, you want them to say certain things by the questions, you know, um, and you can kind of help people, you know, kind of draw out kind of what you need out of the narrative. But a lot of the time you're just kind of piecing together what they say and hopefully it fits into the narrative that you want to, you know, the story like this kind of tells you what it wants to be. Right. And so when you get great interviews like that and you do your research, it kind of just lays it out in front of you. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of the process. And then, you know, it was funny because then, you know, obviously uh, COVID-19 hit and it was kind of the perfect project for that because I could do a lot of it remotely. You know, the phone, the phone calls that uh, the interviews, I just did like a podcast and then um, you know, the, the stuff I found I, through archival footage on the internet and whatnot. So I did a lot of the post-production as well, just online, whereas regularly I would be in the room with my editor and, you know, my sound designer and, and, and finding music, I'd be all in kind of one room with someone, but now it was over Skype or through Zoom or whatever. So it took a little longer. Um, it was a longer process, but I feel that filmmaking in a way is going to have to shift towards filmmaking like this kind of remotely, you know, yeah. uh, especially with all the protocols that, that, that you see coming out now. Um, so it well, kind it's, of, it's like a lot of these, uh, it's like a lot of these artists, you know, doing, building entire albums, you know, in their office with GarageBand or something like that. Oh yeah. 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 The music 19 is going to be phenomenal right like in a couple months there's going to be so much good music i can't wait um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i don't know what in the future you know just kind of talking about that a little like there's going to be probably a lot of documentaries made like this um i saw like a really cool nike commercial uh released yesterday where they took archival footage and they kind of mixed two images together yeah uh, because a lot of people aren't going to be able to shoot you know new footage that's going to have to be you know, stock footage or archival footage, and maybe you can go out and shoot, you know, a couple actors here and there, but it's going to get expensive. Um, so for this, it was almost like it was already, the template had already been set for COVID couldn't kind of take me out, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, well, yeah. And so I, you know, I, I named it, you know, quarantine films, you know, production because just to kind of <laughs> to kind of have that memory. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, crazy process but I was really happy with the way it turned out um and it's funny because when you have that Bundini voice um kind of you're listening to him every day and you know there wasn't a lot of footage of him but there's tons of footage on Ali right and wherever, and wherever Ali was Bundini was behind you know he was right. there and going through so many of Ali's fights you could hear him um yelling you know yelling out terms that I had to ask Todd what it meant you know I didn't know like something about the elevator and hit him in the basement it just like, <laughs> it's funny funny stuff 
Um, but I would, you know, that's how we piece it together. My, uh, my editor, Alvin, and I would just sit and watch Ali fights and try to grab, you know, audio from um, Bandini or, or catch him walking him towards the ring or, you know, in the background when he's jumping rope. And so it's funny because you have such an iconic figure like Ali, um, maybe the most famous athlete of all time, who everyone knows his story, you know, because of there's been so much written and movies made about him. But here's a guy who's been by his side the whole time who a lot of people don't know about. And right. what they, yeah, and what they do know of is the Jamie Foxx portrayal, which is, I found out, was totally off, um, you know, from the point of view of, of Drew, his son, and um, Todd, who'd done a ton of research on him. Yeah, and that comes, comes into play in the documentary. Um, you, yes. you mentioned you had mentioned just all the the footage. I, I actually had something down here to talk to you about. Is I just had a real appreciation for how you combined the footage that you did have of Bundini and Ali with with like stock footage, and then mm -hmm. working the jazz music in there and the narration from the different voices. Um, like you said, kind of having that 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 detached narrator, but then also uh, Bundini's son, who was obviously closer closer to the situation. I just thought it all came together very well. And I, I did have, I kind of deconstructed it, the sense that you were, you were dealing with sort of limited resources. Yeah. But I, but I felt like it, it, ne it never felt that way. It never came off that way, if that makes sense. I know that's a really weird ass, like backhanded compliment, but it, it truly is a compliment. <laughs> um, so when you, when you, begin a, I, I, that all comes to this when you begin a project like this what is your starting point because you mentioned you know it, it is more of like a journalistic endeavor you're sort of digging and digging what where do all those choices kind of spring from I think it starts the first thing is research uh, you kind of research the person you kind of hear you know I wanted to feel like um, a lost home video almost Mm. where Bandini was the center, the, the focal point. Uh, so I wanted to hear, you know, some him telling his story through other people. Um, and so I felt, felt it was very important to kind of get as much of his voice in there. The, it's funny, the first cut we did was like 28 minutes and it was just so much Ali. And I was like, what's going on? You know, it, your first instinct is to tell Bandini's story through Ali. And so I, I called Todd and I was like, you know, I'm having this issue. And he's like, yeah, I had the same issue right in the book. And so I kind of sat back and I was like, okay, how can I make this more of Bundini's story? Because Ali was just, you know, his, his personality is so big that he kind of overshadows everything. So um, the first thing to do was research. And I found, you know, great articles of Bundini on, um, in Sports Illustrated and just, you know, you pick up snippets here and there. Um, of, of the things he had to say and, and like the things he had to say were just so ahead of its time, ahead of their time. Um, and so I would grab that, I would find an audio clip. Um, and yeah, it's just about kind of piecemealing it all together. And then the narrative, the, the, uh, the interviews kind of were like my structure, my bone structure, um, and then fitting the visuals on top of that. And then, you know, with music, I thought it was very important um, I wanted like a jazz hip hop type thing because uh, a lot of people consider the um, Bundy and Ali almost like the first rap duo because right. they would back and forth with the 
you know, rumble, young man, rumble. And they had these kind of back and forth things, which we show in the doc. Um, so I wanted to start out with like a jazz background, almost like a, um, like a tribe called Quest. Cause yeah. you know, he was around during the Harlem Renaissance and was like a big figure, you know, just in that era alone, he hung out with Billie Holiday and James Baldwin. And so I wanted to start with jazz. And then as the story kind of progresses, as their lives do, we hear more of like jazz with hip hop, jazz with kind of modern hip hop. Um, and so I wanted the kind of, you know, I think when you do have limited resources, it almost makes you be more creative because you can't just throw money at stuff, at footage, you know, you like, you have to be basically be like, okay, how can I do this um, in a way that maybe hasn't been done? Um, right. So sometimes that's where innovation comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it forces you, and this is kind of goes back to me being an indie filmmaker where I kind of have limited resources and it's always about how can I get the most out of that? Um, what that I do have, you know, how can I, how can I deconstruct it? But as you mentioned, like, how can I deconstruct it so that I can tell that story with stock footage or, or B-roll or whatnot? Um, and then use maybe an audio clip here or there that kind of helps finish that thought. I'm, as I watched the, the doc, I mean, I, I probably know about, about as much as uh, the average boxing fan, maybe a little bit more about Bundini. Um, but I was surprised how little I knew. Um, there was the stuff you mentioned, uh, the ties to Baldwin and, and Holiday, and I think it was Ruth Brown. Was, what's the most interesting thing you learned about Bundini along the way? It's a great question. Um, well, to me, coming into the story, I was like, oh, this is a, an Ali Bundini story about mentorship and, you know, the guy who gets your ass out of bed in the morning. And um, then it became, as the more research I did and the more kind of um, just sitting with the story, it was a father-son story. Mm. And, and, you know, his relationship with Drew is just, there's so many layers to it. And we only touched on some of it in the doc. I know Todd has a lot of it more in the book, but, um, you know, interviewing Drew for two hours, he cried three or four times. We, you know, he laughed a bunch. We had a good time, but it was, emo it was like such a roller coaster. It was almost like therapy. And then, um, you know, hearing his story about the way he talked about his daddy, as, as he says, um, was just really cool. And, it, and, you know, for me having a, a one-year-old boy too, it kind of just hit on, on that level of like, you know, how do you, how are you a good father? You know, how can you instill these values in, in your dad, in, in your son? You know, I think the, while kind of not doing, not living by the same things that you're laying out for your son, you know? Um, and so the, the story that really got to me was the story of how, you know, when Bandini joined the Navy as a teenager, he was, you know, washing shoes or shining shoes and washing dishes and was kind of at the lowest step in, in the Navy um, where most uh, black people were at the time. And then one generation later, his son is flying jets for the Navy. You know, that's the top 1% of the Navy. You know? yeah. um, that to me is such an American story. And that to me really is what I get from the stock of, of how um, this guy who was a sharecropper son, you know, rose to prominence. And not only that, but he left a legacy behind. Um, and like the Brown family is fascinating. Like 
the Drews was, you know, was a Navy pilot. Um, his daughter is a, a lawyer. I think um, his son, his his son is a spinal surgeon, I believe. Oh. Um, so you know, which is ironic because Bandini ends up passing away by breaking his back and falling down the stairs. And um, yeah, it's 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 the legacy that you leave behind. But at the same time, he's human. You know, he's got a he's got a dark side, which right. we delve into a little bit. Not the dark side, not as quite as dark as the Michael Mann movie portrayed it. You know, I guess. But you know, he did have problems with alcohol and um, other things that you know are there that kind of you can sense from the documentary. Um, and I'm sure Todd delves into a lot more in the book. But how do you pass on, you know, these these teachings, these things that you want to instill into your the people that come after you? And for me, Bandini did that with his son. He did that with me. You know, I, I could see myself struggling at times to get through this movie because of just the things that were going on um and you know when you're sitting in a room listening to someone yell at a guy yelling at ali of all people you know one of the great the greatest boxer ever like do this do that you know you know there's a there's a line he says uh you know you're you ain't no ordinary man don't one you, you hear these things and they kind of seep into your brain you know get out of bed you know and get, get get the gas in the morning and it kind of helped me through this i mean it's as maybe cheesy as that sounds but it's so funny. almost like bundini is talking to you a little bit yeah yeah it was in, my, my wife would walk around quoting him because she'd be <laughs> editing in in the background i was joking uh, to drew and uh, todd and the hamilcar guys that uh my first Work, my uh, son's first words are going to be uh, Bundini, you know, it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting how that, how that got into my life. Um, and so to me, to me, that tells me that there was a spirit to this guy. Uh, I never met him, you know, but hearing, telling him, helping tell his story and listening to his son and listening to Todd and um, it, it, I don't know, there's a part of me, it almost like he, kind of jumped into me you know and then as a storyteller as a filmmaker um you love the stories you know that that's your goal of getting into a story so much where it speaks to you because um so many times you get hired for stuff and, and you're kind of just trying to do the job right um, but this time it really like was like wow i can find my way into the story and help tell this story um but yeah it was it's been an amazing experience and um really really rewarding well, you talk about the kind of the father-son element and finding that thread, and there's a lot of that in boxing. You know, we find going back through the years, and and then just sort of the dark side. There, there's a lot of very uh, familiar elements uh, for for boxing fans and and people interested in the sport. Um, I I think it's interesting the way you put it that here's a guy who. He was human and had his flaws. He had his demons and, and you get into that in the doc. Usually you, you know, you get these stories and it's a father son thing and it's the, the son is, there's this friction, there's this conflict and the, the son is avoiding, you know, doesn't want to be the father and the father doesn't want his son to make the mistake. But it's interesting because here's a guy who certainly made his own share of mistakes. Um, and, and yet the son from my perspective seems to adore him. And, and obviously, as you said, the, the kids really reached incredible heights. Um, maybe, maybe despite 
Bundini not being, you know, the, the perfect uh, mentor or, or perfect role model. Yeah, Drew actually touches on that where he says, you know, um, my parents fought, they were alcoholics, um, but they were the greatest parents in the world. You know, yeah. but to me, like there was more to that, but to me that was such a great quote in that people were like, well, he just- The way he said it too. The yeah, way he said so, it really struck me. Yeah, and it makes, you, it makes you think of like, well, what is it? You know, what is that? And to me, you know, going back towards when I grew up, there's a similar, um, you know, fathers and sons. There's always, like you said, there's always something, right? Um, and so when you say, yeah, how, why do you adore someone that maybe wasn't the traditional, um, I was going to say Bill Cosby, but you can't say him anymore, but you know, traditional. <laughs> yeah, you got to step yeah. lively around these. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, a traditional dad, let's say. Right. Um, and so what Drew, what Drew said was, it gives you a blueprint of who you don't want to be. Mm. And he did that for me. That was his words where he did that for me. He taught me who I didn't want to be. But um, it's interesting that he can, that he can process that. Yeah. And still love the guy and, and adore him in his own way. Like it, it's clear he, you know, dad meant the world to him. And, oh yeah. You know, he, he texted me after, or I sent him the link and he was watching it and uh, I didn't know when he was going to watch it. He, and he called me and he was crying and he was like, you know, Oh, you know, you guys did my daddy so well, you know? And um, I was like, wow, thank you. Thank you. You know, it really touched me. Um, and I said, well, you know, how did you like the ending? And he's like, I'm only three minutes in. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, go, go back. Finish it. Yeah. I was like, go back to, and he called me again. Like, I think he was like nine minutes in or something. Thing and you know the same thing and um, yeah great. I mean to have that to have you know I think it was very important for um, everyone kind of that was involved um, in this Bundini story um, before me uh, to get Bundini's story right or at least to portray him how other people saw him not this kind of caricature that he became and I know that was very important for the family and especially you know the Hamilcar guys and um, and Todd, you know, and so, yeah, I think, I think we do that, you know, and I think he really has expressed that to us that, you know, hey, hey, he wasn't afraid to talk about his, the dark side of his dad, you know, and, and I really love that. I really appreciate that, that he would have that candor with me. Um, but at the same time, he wanted a fair portrayal. And as a documentarian, that's all you can ask for, right? Right. You tell the story that's there through these people. Um, you're not trying to sell more tickets or to win Jamie Foxx an Oscar, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's been a beautiful project. Um, and, you know, being in Hollywood from, you know, the, the A-list um, to the indie film world, that, that that's not always the case um, right. you know, with a project. Well, I want to ask you if you're, if you're up for talking about it. Um, one of your other projects kind of struck me when it, you know, when we're thinking about uh, Bundini and, and all these kind of layers and we're thinking about Valero. Um, can you tell me the, the genesis of Mommy's Little Monster? Oh, you watched it? I didn't watch it. I, I wasn't able to, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't get through enough to watch it, but I did, I read the, um, uh, the, the blurb. I, I believe you wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, 
that it's funny because that was my last project before Bandini, and it's a it's a mother uh, son story um, that was very personal to me. Um, we finished it a couple years ago, but it just came out last year, last summer we premiered it, and it was doing film festivals uh, before COVID hit. Um, but yeah, kind of my personal story about me and my dad. Um, inspired by, I guess, my childhood and kind of, you know, a similar story where um, I love my dad and a uh, great guy, uh, but a bad drunk. And so um, there were these kind of things, this kind of love and hate, you know, of, of who he was as a man and who he was kind of as this kind of dark monster, this, this as I, you know, portray in the movie, although it's, it's more surreal than I'm kind of explaining. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, it was a kind of a personal story of mine uh, that helped me kind of cope with my growing up with someone I, I loved, but also feared um, and, you know, in a way resented. But, you know, how do you, we're all human. And I think as you get older, as you have your own son, you know, as I do now, um, you kind of learn from your mistakes. And um, if you can put it in a narrative about a little boy and a little monster outside that he's afraid of. Um, that's, I mean, that's icing on the cake. Uh, th those are the kind of stories I love telling of, of kind of, um, where they're kind of universal stories that we all go through, um, but putting in a little spin on it so that it, whether it be a horror movie or a documentary, um, you know, there's, there's something there that we can all relate to in our own way. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of where I want to be as a storyteller. I don't want to just kind of take jobs to, to do them. I want to kind of find my way in and then have a message behind it. What other sort of projects are you working on right now? Uh, right now, I'm, you know, I've always got some things in development, uh, but, you know, it's going to be a different type of uh, world we're moving towards. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't know if, you know, these smaller sets that people are talking about is going to be good for indie film. Um, because who's going to be able to afford, afford the insurance? Who's going to be able to afford someone on set who's installing these protocols? Mm. Um, you know, my first short film was me and, you know, eight, nine people running around downtown LA. Uh, it, was a, it was a day in the life of a street artist. And we were stealing, you know, we were going on the subway, Union Station, stealing all these guerrilla shots and running around on a, you know, by the train tracks and just doing like, crazy stuff, you know? Right. Um, what does that look like now? How, how am I going to get people to sign up for that? You know, right. um, you know so it, I don't it know. just mean telling, telling different stories or telling I, them in a different way? Yeah, I think the first step will be telling stories, which I love anyway, of smaller contained stories, um, like little, Mommy's Little Monster, where it's just a mom and, and son, you know, at a, at a cabin in the woods. Um, I think those stories are kind of kind of be what you're going to see at first. And then you're just going to see start like people getting more creative. Um, I'd love, you know, I'd love to do a 90 minute documentary on um, Bandini. Um, but, you know, there, there's some other things cooking up. Um, right now, I'm also hosting for a company called Star, uh, where they uh, put athletes in the same room with fans. Um, mm. So you can kind of chat with your heroes. Like I just did one with Trey Young the other day where all these people from around the world were calling in to ask him questions and I was uh, facilitating the conversation. So I do that um, in the next couple of weeks, I'll be doing more of that. But yeah, I mean, as a filmmaker, you're always looking for great stories. 
Um, I think my journalism background is, um, helps me and then I can kind of bounce back and forth uh, from scripted to documentary. So um, yeah, I'm excited about what's next. I don't have anything exactly on the plate, but always things cooking up. Yeah, I mean, I looked through your website and you, you, you're all over the place in the best way. I mean, it's, I, in my mind, um, and I, I keep moving more and more towards, towards freelance and picking projects, and we don't all have the luxury of doing that, and, and even I would like to have more flexibility to do that, but, um, but it seems like you're able to kind of, you know, follow, follow your muse, I guess, was a pretty snooty way of saying it. Yeah, and you know, hey, you're going to have to do some, sometimes you're going to have to uh, do some things that maybe you can't find your way in at first. But I think that's the most important thing is even if you have to take a job, um, that you find some connection to it. And if you do that, the story kind of helps you just tell it because when you force something, it comes out in the narrative. Um, and so, yeah, I try to do things that, you know, at first maybe they don't seem like, I don't know what I have in common with uh, Bundini on the surface, you know, mm -hmm. but um, digging deep, there was that father-son thing, you know, and, and I gravitated towards that and really helped me tell this story. Um, and, you know, the next thing will be something else. Uh, some other issue that my, uh, that only my psychologist knows about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for people to see Bundini. I'm really excited to um, see what the boxing world's all about. Um, I know it's such a passionate fan base. Um, and so I hope they love the movie and I hope they learn some, some things about Bandini that they didn't know, which would be you know, great. And I hope they buy the book, which you know, is a great portrayal. It dives deeper into the doc. I think if you love the doc, you'll love the book and vice versa. Any more boxing in your future that, that you know, you have, even if it's just right now, a, a twinkle in your eye? Yeah, I mean, I was working on something that was boxing, and then like my, my wife's like, "Are you just a boxing guy now?" Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I never knew that about. Well, what you. is that anyway? You're a boxing guy. Yeah, boxing guy, right? Um, I would definitely, you know, it's, it's. I was talking to my friend Manuk, who um, is the boxing writer for the LA Times, and uh, we we actually interviewed Mike Tyson last year, um, and we were going to do a project with that. Uh, this great kind of fifty minute interview where. Tyson is just talking about take, smoking the toad and he's never boxing again. And we were like, oh, we're going to do this and that. And then, uh, you know, obviously he's changed, he's changed things up, you know, yeah, he's right. again. and so we're like, oh, that was that Mike Tyson's gone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we should have jumped on that as, as but we were going to do this really cool project um, where we would animate it um, and not the kind of cartoon animation that, for his uh, kind of Scooby-Doo like show, but kind of more surreal type, um, almost like anime type stuff. Okay. Uh, so there's that maybe, but you know, who knows now, but I think going back to that was when I was Monique and I were talking and we were just like, yeah, the boxing world is so fit for um, movies, you know, and that's why there's been so many of them because there's these father son things. There's these trainer boxer things. There's these, you know, rise and fall, you know, yeah. uh, obviously with Rocky and all that, but it's such, it's such, it's a world that anyone can kind of connect to because it's really easy to, to side with a guy that gets hit in the face, you know? <laughs> um, and so 
if he's got a good story behind it, you know, you, it's easy to latch onto that. Whereas like other sports are kind of, you know, there's rules and there's, you know, this or that. Boxing is just such at a level where a lot of people can understand what it is, even if they're not, they don't understand the technical aspects of it. And that's what I love about it. Um, I've kind of refallen in love with the sport um, through these things. But yeah, you know, you, I never pictured myself doing a boxing documentary. Um, but, you know, I did one. <laughs> and I'd love to do another one if, if, yeah. the, if it presented itself. The yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of really ripe storytelling opportunities there. It's a lot of raw, visceral, uh, not just tradition. I mean, you, you mentioned father and son, but there's just so much going on there. And, and there's never any shortage of villains. And a, and a good villain always makes a good story. So exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, the Hamilcar guys have been doing some great stuff. You know, just yeah. their, I love how they approach their storytelling. You know, they've got the noir series. Yeah, um, they've got kind of the more traditional boxing stories, um, but with with kind of a um, written by kind of like real authors. You know, not just kind of sport authors, but guys who really understand the the narrative word. So I really love what they're doing. You know, they're kind of presenting this, this boxing stories in a, in a new package, which I think is really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, there seems like, I hope, I hope the sport, you know, gets its second win because going through all this footage, you just realized how, how big it was back then, you know, how it was such an event sport. Um, and, you know, I, I hope it gets back to that level at, at some point. I think this is a great opportunity for them, you know, with when sports were down and I don't think they made the most of it. I think UFC did somewhat, but um, I would have liked to see boxing kind of step it up a little more. And I don't understand all the, the, the kind of, you know, the behind the curtain type stuff. But um, to me, it's still, it's still a wonderful sport with great personalities. Yeah, it's, I would say it's kind of the classic uh, boxing narrative of the sport tripping over its own dick again. It's just, unfortunately... <laughs> Yeah, there are just too many factions, too many, too many different agendas, too many people trying to make a buck, and not nearly enough cohesiveness. Um, and it's, it, and I agree, it's too bad because there was a certain amount of, of, you know, COVID scare and liability, and and you know, a certain amount of, of that had to be taken into account with bringing boxing back, but it was absolutely a lost opportunity where. I, I just think that they're they're always leaving money on the table. There there are so many fans who are diehard boxing fans. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of truly casual boxing fans. Like yeah. you, you kind of have to be all in. It's yeah. difficult to be a fan in this sport for many reasons: I the agree. accessibility, the you know, finding the, the fights, spending the money, all of it. Yeah. Um, but. I just feel like there there are so many people out there they could just be picking off uh, because of the narratives, the storylines, and you know there there will never be another Muhammad Ali, but there are uh, Alexander Usyk, there are uh, Vasily Lomachenko's, there are there there are guys from all over the world. Um, some of them speak English, some of them don't, but they've all got their own stories. Yeah. Um, and it's just a matter of tapping into those and, and getting them in, into people's eyeballs. It's, it's really, in some ways, it's no different. The, the challenges are no different than they used to be. Yeah. 
Well, I had a question. What story would you like to see, whether it be from the past or from now? What boxing story would you like to see? Oh, like, man, that's a good question. Um, I can poach your idea, maybe. <laughs> I, I'll give you 10%. I'll give you 10%. Well, yeah, there you go. I'll, uh, I'll tell you what, there's something I have been working on for a while now. And it's, um, I haven't been able to make the headway I wanted to. And, and I've, I've had, I'm, I'm probably in trouble with, with an editor somewhere. And <laughs> I, I think some of my sources probably feel like I ghosted on them, but it, it's, I'm trying to pull together uh, the story on, there's a Chicago fighter named Ed Brown, who, okay. who was uh, murdered about four or five years ago. Um, and he, he fights out of the, the same gym um, as Adrian Granados. There's, there's some other guys, Joshua Greer. Um, and I spent some time with, with some of those folks and, and, and Ed Brown's old trainer. And it's just sort of a, a classic boxing story of, um, you know, a kid on his way up, uh, lots of different people kind of trying to get their hooks into him or to control him. Um, his his background, his family life, uh, his environment, kind of tugging at him in a, in a way that isn't healthy for him, um, and then ultimately, you know, tragedy. And uh, so there's a there's a lot going on there with that story. And um, unfortunately, it's it's more common. Um, you know, it's 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 not a, a rare story, um, relatively speaking, uh, when it comes to boxing. So um, that's something I'm trying to bring bring together. Um, but there are so many great stories out there. And I, I I'm with you. I love finding uh, the stories that we haven't heard yet. And I think Bundini is a good, it's a good way to kind of back into one of those stories because everybody loves Ali. Everybody wants to hear about Ali, you know, just by association. Um, but, but Bundini has his own great story to tell. So if you can kind of loop in some people, get them, get them interested, even if it's, you know, uh, just getting him in through the side door. Um, I, I, I like those stories and I like the idea of, of making, you know, finding something that resonates. that's a little bit more universal, um, but also is kind of uniquely its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think in many ways you could probably relate, people could probably relate more to Bundini than Ali and just in terms of a human aspect, you know, like you said, there's only one Ali that those people don't come along very often, but there's not maybe a lot of Bundinis, but there's a lot more we can kind of um, see in ourselves, you know? Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's exactly it. And I think that's, to me, that's the, maybe one of the best storytelling devices that's, that's out there is kind of that uh, finding that connection where you're able to put yourself in, in a subject's shoes or at least find, find a groove that, you know, you can occupy that, that, that puts you in the driver's seat with them, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, Patrick, it was great chatting with you. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do down the road. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Great chat. Uh, loved it. Love talking boxing and all this stuff going down memory lane. And I hope uh, people catch Bundini. Um, really excited about it and, and hope to talk to you soon. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Great conversation. Really enjoyed that. Enjoyed talking to Patrick. Patrick Green, the, uh, the filmmaker, uh, documentarian, writer, journalist, media man about town. Um, want to say thank you for his time. 
and his candor uh, covered a lot there. It was great. Um, I always love a good good chat about storytelling and um, when it covers boxing and, and things like Bundini Brown and we can learn a little something along the way. It's all the better. Um, go check out Patrick's new new film. Uh, it's Bundini, the documentary. Uh, by now, you you should know about this. Um, it's great. It's like 25, 30 minutes. Absolutely worth your time. Um, I, I am interested to see if Patrick will be able to turn that into something bigger because um, I want to know more. I, I like this, this just kind of wet my appetite. I, I'd love to see more about Bundini um, and, and the way he's kind of stylized uh, the, the film. I, I just, it just left me wanting more. I'm, I'm really interested. So um, let's hope there's more there. Um, if you want to see more from Patrick, go to buypatrickgreen.com. He's got a great looking website. Um, it's got all his stuff. Um, you can get to the Valero doc. There's, Mommy's Little Monster, some of the other things we talked about um, during our conversation. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what else Patrick has up his sleeve. Um, if you like kicking around on the Internet, if you like looking at web pages, um, you know, maybe go to your, your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review. Rate uh, a scrappy little podcast. Um, if there's a If there's an apple-cheeked, golden-throated host that you've grown to to love over time. Um, you know, help him out. Maybe uh, maybe leave that that review, that rating. Uh, seriously, give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Um, always interested to hear from from anybody listening to Ringtones. Um, if, uh, if you don't have time for, for a review or uh, a rating and you can only fire off whatever it is, 142 characters, find us at, uh, at, at the social medias, one of the, one of the big social medias. Okay. No, it's just Twitter and Facebook. We're not, we're not everywhere. Just Twitter, Facebook at ringtones pod. Uh, drop us a line, leave us a message, say hello. Uh, tell us how you're doing. We it's, we got to take care of each other. Still wild out there. Um, so let us know what's up. Uh, Next week, hope to return with another fantastic guest. We'll see what's what's on the horizon, uh, but we will talk to you again soon. Until then.